Welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen, back in the backyard with Andy Wood. It's gorgeous out there today. It is Look a beautiful day. Incredible. Should we? Let's, let's, let's cut all the guff at the top here and get straight introducing our guests. I like it. Uh, someone who I, I can't believe we haven't had on the show before. We were hanging out just two days ago and we're like, you've done... Oh, no, haven't done the show. A good friend of ours, a very talented comedian, musician, rapper, songster, general man about town, Mr. Zach Sherwin. Hey, guys. Thanks for thanks for guff cutting. Yeah. Let's get right to it. <laughs> Who likes that guff? That guff can go right out the door. No, thank you. I like I like like maybe a ten percent guff layer. It's like the same way. I consider myself a very some nonsense businessman. You know, like <laughs> mm-hmm. I, it's. it's a I'll tolerate a little bit of it. Yeah. yeah. I was around someone recently who is. Sometimes I feel like I'm busy with all these things that I fill my day with. But then I was around someone recently who is actually super, super busy. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is what actually busy looks like. Like, I had their attention for three minutes. People kept coming in, like, bringing papers and stuff like that. Oh, my God. And it was like, no, I can't right now. Just give me two more minutes. And we were shooting a take for a video. And they were 30-second takes. And we shot one. And they were like, cool. And I was like, can we do one more? And they were like, I'm sorry. I they looked at a watch. What? It was a matter of 30 seconds. Who is this? Can we, we can't know who this person uh, is. You know, just to keep the name out there. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll it's funny because you just made me rethink whether I'm very efficient when at the end of lunch yesterday, you said, okay, can we get five minutes to shoot something in the parking lot? Like, this is the 30th scene I need to shoot for this video. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And it, was, and it was great. It was really funny. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. That, it was actually the same video, just real quick little takes. Oh, you got so okay. So I should look for somebody in this video when it comes out who's famous enough that I can imagine them getting snatched up after thirty seconds. Yeah, that's okay. right. That, and I'll also tell you as soon as we stop recording. Okay, nice. <laughs> uh, we should direct uh, listeners to your YouTube page, though, right? Yeah, that video is not out yet, but will be eventually. But I have lots of other music videos at YouTube.com/slash Zach Sherwin Z A C H. And uh, listeners might know you from the probably the, the biggest. I'm assuming the the most viral things that you've done have been the epic rap battles of history. Yeah, I'm a uh, yeah, I'm a staff writer and frequent guest performer in that web series. Which, if people don't know, you should check out. There's often science related stuff. You, um, the you first character, yeah, right? the first character I ever played in it was Einstein, and that video has I'll brag about it since it isn't my own yeah. creation. Like over a hundred million views. It's crazy. It's an incredibly that, mega viral series my friends created. That is absurd when you think about that num. That's so many more than any top rated TV show now. It's really weird. Yeah, that's when you think about like, the, the highest rated. How many people watch? Yeah, like I think if, if you get. In the ten, if you get over ten million as a network sitcom these days, you're you're killing it, right? Yeah, like guaranteed pick up for another season, yeah. and a hundred million people. Wow. Yeah, and it's weird because you know it's hard to tell how much currency that has and how valuable it is to have had your video viewed a hundred million times because. You know, right. Any TV show that popular, people will be like, oh, yeah, right. It's a, it's an iconic show. Yeah. But these people are like, no, it's, you know, many people haven't heard of them. It's a pretty specific remember demographic. remember how everyone was like, like staying in for the night and getting off work and stuff for the finale of Epic Rap Battles of History? <laughs> <laughs> it's a big TV event and everyone was like, how are they going to end it? How are they going <laughs> to? Yep. Yeah. My parents uh, met at an Epic Rap Battles of History uh, viewing party, I'm pretty sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, good, good. Um, so yeah, so I've done those. 
and uh and contributed songs to various tv shows and yeah that's true uh crazy ex-girlfriend on the cw most oh, no recently mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome I've written a couple songs for those guys uh rachel's coming out to perform at bridgetown this year oh awesome rachel bloom yeah i i only found out about the show uh like a few months into the run of the season and holy shit is it funny oh this yeah will be the second time in about three episodes that. that we've sung the phrase of that song well i'm sung also plugging that it show. because i want people in portland to come out and see her live uh june 4th at revolution hall as part of bridgetown yeah. comedy festival because it, it's really it, it, if you assumed it's like glee you should check it out because it's not it's great uh, it's yeah great. and saying that you're singing her praises is appropriate because not only is it a good episodic television show but there's like original musical numbers every episode of the show with a music video that's standalone that goes up online, which as someone who makes my own videos, yes, I don't have an enormous production machine behind me, but that is a crazy ambitious thing to take on. So yeah, and it's good and it's, it works it works as a sit like as a straight up sitcom. It it's great. And then also the music numbers are great. It's watch it and then come and see Rachel live. Yeah. So you did like you did some of the rap songs for that? Or? Yeah, there have been two raps that I contributed to. One was called "I Give Good Parent," and it's about you know being good at the Thanksgiving dinner and impressing the family. And then um, I wrote another one called "Jap Battle," uh, like, as in <laughs> Jewish American princess. Uh-huh. And it's it's a rap beef between Rachel's character, who's an attorney, and like her childhood friend, who also went on to be an attorney, and they're like on opposing sides of this legal case, and. Um, it's so dense with Jewish inside baseball references. I read some person talking about it. Like I read some review of the episode or some commentary on the episode online. And someone was like, I can't believe this got past whatever gatekeepers <laughs> because I feel like it's like secret code for me, a Jew. What's a good but example? Then you realize of every inside. single gatekeeper. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yeah. How did it get, how did all these Jewish references get through Hollywood? How did that? <laughs> What's an example of like a deep, a deep pull from the Jewish folklore or whatever of Jewish uh, stereotypes? Yeah, sure. Well, so there's one, um, the first one that comes to mind is there's a part where one character says to the other one, if you think your verse is tight, then you're tripping like birthright. Um, okay. Is that meaningful? Yeah, you, you get birthright. The trip birthright to, trip yeah, to yeah, Israel, yeah. right. How about this one? There's one where s- someone says, um, we were egged on like Seder plates. I'm assuming that uh, there's an egg dish as part of most traditional Seders in some way. Yeah, that's right. Uh, there's an egg on the Seder plate. It's okay. like sort of the centerpiece. But I mean, you know. It's pretty deep. Only from context did I know that. Not that I would. Yeah, remember, yeah. Like, it's Hebrew what? on television. That's like, crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. A rare feat. Anyways, I, so yeah, those are the two. How did you uh, when you did the Einstein versus Stephen Hawking one? You also wrote for that yeah that's right do you have an interest in science before that or how did you did yeah because we always ask wikipedia our, we ask we tend to ask our guests this before they get into the we get into the actual stories did you yeah what is your background or prior interest in science well i'll take it even one step farther back and say i always really liked school um oh, but okay. science and math were probably my week or two subjects but i was always really interested just i had less of a natural inclination towards them yeah. compared to like my english classes but um, I like Einstein. Uh, I mean, Jewish hero growing up always sure. had him presented to us. Um, he's like one of our greatest hits. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I went to Brandeis University, which originally was going to be called Einstein University, and he was like, he, you know, he declined. Uh, <laughs> and and we were talking about this yesterday. It's yeah. good because then if you had gone to Einstein University, that would be like a thing that hangs over you the rest of your life. Okay, Einstein. Oh, right. You. Yeah. You're, you're why this is fresh in my mind yeah. when we talk about Einstein. Yes, that's a funny joke. Yeah. Okay, Einstein. 
I went to clever university of thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So no, I didn't know too much about his science. And to be honest, I think that's one where it was, that's an early one in the epic rap battles uh, journey. Um, I think it was the first season of the series. We're now in season five. Oh, damn. And um, that was one where we more like cherry picked references and then snuck in a lyric about it. I'm speaking from my own knowledge base. Pete Pete Shukoff, who's like one of the co-creators of the series, really, really does his homework. He, you know, watches movies and reads biographies and autobiographies and um, he really goes deep. But there's something called a pea brain. P hyphen B-R-A-N-E. I think it's some kind of like membrane in reality. That's great. Please Google it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're on it. Um, But someone calls someone else a pea brain, like, you know, an idiot. Uh, So that kind of thing is perfect. Uh, They are higher dimensional objects in a string theory with dimensions from zero uh, to nine called pea brains. In terms of brains, what we'd normally call a membrane would be a two brain. A string is a one brain and a point is a zero brain. Oh, yeah. Oh. Um. So I, I suppose it's the sort of the the smallest example of an object in each dimension. But I that, but I think that as distinguished, like uh, a membrane is distinguished from a plane, and a string is distinguished from a line in that they can move around in the other dimensions that they don't actually occupy. Is what it's right? You yes, what they like, are dynamic objects, according to Wikipedia, that can propagate through space time according to the rules of quantum mechanics. They have mass and can have other attributes such as charge. A pea brain mm-hmm. sweeps out a brackets p plus one dimensional volume in space time called its world volume so i, I guess like a two brain would would sweep out a three-dimensional volume a one brain would sweep out a one di- two, a two-dimensional space but then oh. again a, a two well then this the string analogy for a one brain it could go out into two or three dim- whatever i kind no, of i, I kind of get it i kind of understand it where i'm surprised i thought i wouldn't be able to get it do you kind of get it Oh, no, not at all. I'm Like, the way that a membrane is two-dimensional, but, like, imagine, like, a wavy membrane. Okay. Like, it, it can move into that third dimension, even though it's sort of it's like two-dimensional. Flat. It's flat, but it's not, a, it's not a plane. Right. And a string isn't a line. So, like, a thing that is that has n dimensions but can move around in the n plus one-th dimension. Is that P, the n plus one-th? I think a P brain the, is, the P, is, the P is the, the number the P, of dimensions yeah. that, that brain, that mem- a membrane is, is a two-brain. A string is a one brain, mm. and then a single point is a zero brain. Nothing else would be an out. You couldn't picture what the three would be because it would be moving around. In it would be wobbling space, in the fourth which is dimension. Hard to visualize. Yes, but not impossible with our pea brains. It's yeah. tricky. exactly. You could probably do like one of those projections, like those um, gifs of the of hypercubes moving. Yeah, you know what I mean. Or whatever. Um, okay. We also we also did a. I'm trying to think of other science epic rap battles to throw out there. We did um, Sir Isaac Newton versus Neil deGrasse Tyson, which was pretty awesome. Played by, I believe, uh, Weird Al and um, maybe Charlie Tuna from Jurassic Five, respectively. Really? That's yeah. Awesome. I think that's correct. Which who played who? <laughs> Matt Gershon. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. It's easily consulted that record, but yeah. Awesome. Um, that's remarkable. Yeah. Uh, so you one. took your you took your Einstein University knowledge and applied it to rap. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, by the way, I went to the um, I went to uh, Sherlock School of working things out. <laughs> That's that was my uh, tertiary education. Good, good education. That's right. That's the word I learned. <laughs> what did you say? I, didn't, I, didn't hear you say. I managed you to say? mispronounce education. Ed- education. 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 I got an education. Um, yeah. So. Uh, uh, who won out of New- well, in fact, what, I'm not. Let's not spoil it. Watch it. Well, th- 
I, I mean, I'll spoil this. There isn't a winner declared. You know, every episode ends with them going, who call won? To, call to action. Right? Yeah, yeah, so then you can comment on the video, you know, have fun But does debating. anyone actually total up the votes? No, I, I mean, not from our end, as far as I know. Maybe there are super fans who go through the comments. Yeah, you, couldn't really comments. Do, you couldn't do like a thumbs up, thumbs down, because a thumbs down isn't a vote for anybody. It's just, yeah, good call. It's just a sexist way of saying I don't like women in Ghostbusters movies. <laughs> <laughs> on any, on any video. Yeah. Any video, any thumbs down is technically saying that. <laughs> Fuck funny women. Like, I, I love that people are, are, uh, are like, Assuming this movie is going to be bad when it's brought to you by Paul Feig, who brought you Bridesmaids, like yeah. one of the funniest movies of the Have last some faith. couple decades, and <laughs> like, stars for the best right. comic actors. I had yeah, that was yeah. sort of sexist. Listen, there's also a man involved, <laughs> in this um, but yeah, everyone involved is like the funniest uh, comedic actresses working today. Yeah, it's so silly that anybody's. Uh, Someone wrote that great screenplay, the fake page of a, of a screenplay. Yeah, which you showed me. It was I'll, great. I'll post that. I, go to our show notes, and you'll see someone posted a a, a found page from the the Ghostbusters. Oh, was that a hoax? I saw it on the internet. <laughs> I mean, you, I didn't you look didn't at it. it. Okay. No, I didn't look at it. It's it's uh, well, hoax is the wrong word. It's it's a joke. Oh, okay. It's super funny. It's very apparent once you look at it that it is a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, great. Hey, you know what isn't a joke? What's that? Andy's butt cleanliness. Oh my god, I, I'm so glad you brought it up. So I don't have to. It happened. <laughs> I um, forgot about why. I know I know this subject, but I forgot about why. Yeah. So that was a fun moment for me. Last so, week, been I, the, we've been talking about this on the show for two weeks now. Andy was deliberating buying mm-hmm. uh, and installing within his toilet uh, a bidet attachment. And, and then, then last week, bidet day came. You just last week you just on last week's episode you committed to it and you mm-hmm. said you were buying it, but it was still in transport. I got the uh, whatever the most popular Amazon one is. I forgot the brand, but it's uh, it's like forty bucks. There's no electric. It's just a mechanical thing. Did that you hooks use the, the probably science Amazon link? As of course, all our listeners should. Everybody who goes to nice. Amazon should always visit our page first and uh, click on our link and then shop as you normally would. We get some money. It doesn't cost you extra. Uh, yeah, so I got the forty dollars baseline one that's just cold water. And then after I ordered it, I mentioned it to a friend who's like, "Oh yeah, I had one of those." By the way, if it's the brand I think it is, be careful because there's basically no like soft setting. Like as soon as you turn it on, <laughs> it's just like super colon blow. And it was that one. She was right. There's kind of you have to be very ginger with it. I mean, not that I guess, or you could just be like, "Yeah, let's do one really hard spray and then we're done." If it's good enough for the army, it's good enough for me. Yeah. Whoa. yeah. I showed it to someone who who said, uh, and I said, would you, would, what would you think of someone if you walked in and this? Uh, and they said, well, it does look kind of medical. Like, I would assume you just had butthole surgery or something. Like, <laughs> Could you have shelled out a little bit more and gotten one with like nice, gentle, warm settings and stuff? Yeah, but then you'd also have to hook it up to the wa- the warm the hot oh, water yeah. underneath the sink, and then there'd be like with my setup, there'd be like a weird like supply pipe. line running along the floor. So then it looks even it. more medical. Yeah. So I was like, this is fine. It, it does look very like it's not it's not low profile like it does stand out as a thing you wouldn't like you wouldn't not notice it you would notice it if you use about them in any way and it looks it's like you're in like a star trek uh captain's chair or something <laughs> okay how to ask this delicately is there any danger of um befouling the bidet apparatus this was okay the this choice was I made, by one of our listeners yes, last week uh i chose the one that has the self-cleaning thing where you can like um, flip a different switch and then turn the water on and it like covers itself and sprays which like sprays itself off kind of Oh wow! So it's like uh, the, so you're not blasting cleaning. any splash back back onto yourself. But also, I think the power behind that is so intense. Nothing's getting nothing's going upstream on that thing. Like, <laughs> everything's going away from it. A <laughs> uh, bottom line, I think uh, no bottom intended. line. Right. Oh, okay. I think it was the right thing. To, I think it was a good purchase. Um, I think I will end up saving the, the cost of it probably in like 
in, six months in, in toilet, toilet paper. paper. Yeah, huh. or like in a year, maybe. I don't know how much do you spend. You think in a year? Well, I don't know because you dress up as a mummy a lot. That's true. I do. I do a very like uh, <laughs> rain. I do a very <laughs> rain afraid mummy. <laughs> Uh, I tried that one year. I tried one year. I was a mummy with torn up um, sheets, which worked a lot better. My mom, it was more work intensive for my mom and me when I was probably like first or second grade. But I think one year I tried the toilet paper route, and uh, a little bit of rain comes, and that's no good. It's, <laughs> You're it's like not a, a good mummy. Sort of papier mache. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like this. <laughs> um, do you guys use toilet paper as Kleenex, or do you buy separate Kleenex? Oh, like to blow Wait, your nose? Yeah, for a nose oh, oh, no, I don't, I don't own any Kleenex, no. Yeah, oh, no, I do. It's because it irritates. Like, the toilet yeah. paper, the little fibers come off and they get into your nose and they irritate and they make your nose run more. Yeah. That's true. And particularly if you've got a cold as well, they're far less forgiving on your nose. That's why I just wait till I shower, then I just do the gym teacher uh, Kleenex. Just you know, the gym teacher Kleenex. Sure. Sometimes shower can be the gym teacher toilet paper. It Not can to be reveal the gym too much. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, are mummies so called because they don't talk? Is that part of why they're called mummies? Mum, I don't know. I'm going to try thing. to guess. They kind of moan threateningly, menacingly. Mummification. Mum. I'm trying to think of what other words have. Maybe it's some Egyptian. I'm using my brain. Matt's using the internet. Thing. I Who's don't get think uh, you're going to get it. Because it comes from the French mommy, which is from the Latin, medieval Latin mamia and the Arabic mamia which means embalmed body, oh, okay. and perhaps from the Persian mum, like M with an accent, U with an accent across it, and then M, which means wax. Mm. Okay, so it's actually very literal. So it has Embalmed no, thing. Yeah. yeah, it has, okay. I believe, a very different etymology to female parents. Unless or, this was, or we, silence. Did we just take literally a very tossed off joke from you? No, <laughs> I mean, it, was a, it, was a, it wasn't a joke. It was, it was a genuine question, but... Uh, and and no, mum, as in keeping mum, yes. comes from the late Middle English imitative of a sound made with closed lips. So I think, I guess that's just mm. onomatopoeic. Huh. Yeah. But huh. I do feel like that's the noise they usually make when they're mm. depicted. Um. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh. I wonder where zombie comes from. Oh. Zombie. Zombie. I think it's a, I think it's a Haitian word, though I could be wrong. I'm going to guess it's just a made-up word that sounds cool. Uh, and Google's initial thing just says early 19th century of West African origin oh. compare with Kikongo Zumbi, which means fetish. But I presume fetish in the sense of... Uh, an item that's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. That you stick up your butt. Oh, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, wait. I'm seeing it comes from uh, Zumba. Uh, 16th century dance craze. Then, uh, Andy. Sorry. We we did have a listener writing with the correction, or at least the claim, uh, that jazzercise is alive and well. Okay, great. Excellent. <laughs> and that's not uh, related to... Didn't Richard Simmons have a jazz-related video series? Or was it just... No, Sweatin' to the Sweatin Oldies. to the Oldies. There was no jazz in that, was there? But the he old, had a jazzercise-y vibe. Yeah, I I hope that everything's cool with him. Have you guys followed the stories about him? Like the conspiracies that he's just disappeared. Well, that that someone might be that he might be under someone's control because he does seem like a fragile. Yeah, I've heard that uh, soul, and I hope I hope nobody's holding Richard Simmons hostage somewhere. That would be a bummer. I used to date a girl who was friends with him. I could try and get the update. 
Yeah, I want to hear. I, I did go to his class once, which uh, I, I did meant you? to. Yeah, you could do that, right? Yeah, before he went missing, he would teach uh, every week at his studio, Slimmons. That's crazy. Which is the place. I didn't realize he had that studio before he got famous. So Where is it? Kept, West Hollywood? Beverly it's Hills like Beverly or Hills. Yeah, yeah, he's kept it open the whole time. So like, he got discovered because he was he had, had this studio, and I think he was also like a charismatic... Uh, is like a flamboyant waiter at some like West Hollywood mainstay or Beverly uh, Hills place. And then people were like, this guy's hilarious. And then he became what he is. But the whole time he kept that studio going and he would have classes open to the public for like 10 bucks. You can go and he'll, he'll give you a talk, like a motivational speech afterwards and he'll stay for pictures with everybody. That's he's amazing. Kind of the best. Like, that should be, that should have been, I guess it no longer can be if he is being, if he's out of the picture, but that should be like a things you have to do if you come to Los Angeles. It I was what it I was told. one of those lists. Yeah. I was like, that's the ultimate bring your parents to this thing if you're here on a Saturday. What are your things like that? The Getty. I'm curious and also would like to pool knowledge. Yeah. Um, Magic Castle. Yes. I right, think right. it's definitely the Getty and the Magic Castle would be my first two answers to this question. I've yeah. still never been to the Getty in all my years of living in LA. What? Yeah, I know it was it's ridiculous. It's right? really cool. It yeah. is cool, but I do think it's savable until you have like a family to go right to. Yeah. to yeah, the Magic Castle is definitely one of those. My my cousin and her then boyfriend, now fiance, like two days after this. I said them. I wasn't in town, but they were in LA, oh. and I was like, and I hooked them up with Magic Castle guest passes. Uh huh. And yeah, that's one of those things where you go, you couldn't have got in here if you don't know someone. So you get to be like the super cool like, yes. insider. Oh, it, it's just, it's And perfect. it's great. The Magic Castle, for the, for the listeners who don't know, the Magic Castle is sort of the clubhouse for the American Society of Magicians. I'm not sure what exactly the name is for the group, but it's it's like the place that all magicians congregate but they also have actual performances and shows, but also all the little side tables. There's always just magicians who just will call you over and show you tricks. And the building itself is amazing because it's full of curios and weird gimmicks and tricks and some memorabilia and fetishes all over the place. So many fetishes. Um, And it's, it's brimming with magic. Every corner you turn, there's a new place for a magician. So have you been, Andy? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's the best. It's like those up-close shows yeah. with just people that are hanging out there. The actual are... the actual book shows on the timetable are also fantastic because people who perform there have to be of a very high standard. Yeah, yeah. But then also, sometimes they'll just be... Like, anyone who is a member of the Magic Castle, like a performing member, is allowed to just take over a corner or take over a table. And all, all the tables... Pretty much everywhere there's card tables mm-hmm. and various surfaces, and they'll just sort of call you over and just do a yeah. weirdly impressive card trick or rope trick. Or That's still my favorite thing, thing is up-close card tricks. Like yeah. a great up-close magic trick is my favorite thing. I like, I like them because I, as someone who doesn't know a huge amount of mag- about magic, but I, I like, I do know that a lot of the bigger illusions, while you have to have a certain amount of skill to perform them, are purchased. Like the big cabinet yeah, illusions right, to right, a large yeah. extent. Obviously the big... Vegas people will have a team helping them develop and they'll develop their own versions and their own things but a lot of the sort of mid-level magicians while they might have their own twist on it they're basically buying a trick and learning how to do it right right but if you're doing an incredibly if you're just doing something with a single coin or a normal non-gimmick deck of cards in front of me then uh, yeah that was that was 5,000 hours of you in front of a mirror at home yeah it's I mean, ironically, they're kind of relying on you not having seen a lot of magic. Because if you ever have seen two people do the same trick, I saw two magician, two different magicians do the same trick. Each had their own spin on it, but a lot of the language of it was exactly the same. And oh. I, I had never had my eyes open in that way, but it's clear that there was a script that came with the trick, whatever they bought. Yeah, or the person who first... or. 
there's a lot my understanding I, I used to live with Kerry Marks who is a phenomenal comedian but used to be he used to be a magician and from what I've heard a very accomplished one mm-hmm. but he got so disillusioned with the amount of <sighs> copying disillusioned uh, yeah Sorry. wait what did you say no, illusioned oh, no I just said disillusioned yes. but you picked me up on the unintentional <laughs> pun but just the amount of unoriginality and copying in magic like he said he was telling a story he once gave a, a lecture to the magic circle which is like the british london magic society Mm -hmm. on how to develop your own tricks your own routines and he's like talk them through how he put together one of his card routines and he's like look this is using techniques that you've all know but i've i've put these twists on it and i've come up with this original idea and i've combined them in new ways and this is how i've created this effect uh step by step and then two weeks later have people coming up going that trick you showed us is killing like it's just like the exact opposite of the message of that thing Oh no! Uh, so there, are, I think there's a hell of a lot of yeah. unoriginality, and then a few really original magicians, like a sort of upper percentile that everyone really respects. But as a layperson, I can't tell the difference between I. I sort of have to rely on magician friends of mine telling me, "No, this person's the real deal," <laughs> and yeah. the, this is a hack who's just copying the real deal. Uh, well, do you guys know the story behind the ventriloquism mask? Have you seen people use that? Yeah. Do you know who no. invented that? Uh, I do, I do. Were you there for that talk he gave about it? No, I wasn't, but... It... Uh, Joel Hodgson from Mystery Science Theater oh. invented the thing where he brings someone on stage, because he's also a magician and ventriloquist, oh. and he and you put uh, this mask that he controls on the person's face. It, it turns an audience member into a dummy. Your, your ventriloquist dummy. Oh, wow, that's amazing. And he, he invented it, and then... Um, sold the rights legally to one person, but then just everyone stole it. And he gave this talk at CineFamily a couple of years ago, and he showed a montage of everyone who's done that as part of their act now. Amazing. And no one knows it's him, and he gets no credit for it, no money for it. And it's a very specific invention. Like, it's... Amazing. Have you guys... There's a... Listeners, there's a comedian named Hugh Moore who's oh. been around forever. Have, have you ever You're seen... You're about to tell me Shy Tony? Yes. If you haven't watched Shy Tony, find that online and watch it. It will delay you. you if you like it? this podcast... I don't know that I have. It will make you so happy. Just, I think oh, yeah, that's just I a have, do yes. your homework, <laughs> listen yes. to it. Humor in general is one of the funniest human beings. Yes. But this, this is... thing is insane. It's, it's such a stupid twist on, on ventriloquism <laughs> from an incredibly... F- it's... I th- it's one of my favorite types of... It's smart, dumb. Yeah. Yes. Really clever, right. really dumb humor. Yep. Which is a lot of Hugh's act anyway. <laughs> yes. Even his name. Like, even yeah. His, which, I and when you watch know- this... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Andy. No, I just didn't even realize that that was a stage name until I'd known him for years also. One day I was like, Hugh Moore. Hugh Moore? What? Oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I know. It's uncharacter. It's surprising when you find that out. Yeah. He's la- in that bit, he's cracking up at how dumb it is. It's really funny. Um... To the Magic Castle. Here's why it's great for family. You hit the nail on the head. You, you have to. There's a dress code, and so you have to alert your family that they have to step up to the dress code. And then that naturally segues into you saying, like, yeah, and you have to know someone to get invited in. So, and then your family's impressed with you. And my aunt and uncle were just in town, and I brought them, and Quentin Tarantino was there, and my aunt <laughs> lost it. And I was like, thank you, Hollywood, Perfect. for obliging me. That's fantastic. Um, we went, and so we even get into the building. You have to. You have to say "Open Sesame" to a magic owl in a oh, bookcase. Yes, that's and then right. And the door opens. Yep. But we went with Karen Gillan, past guest of the show, and she was brought on stage in the medium-sized room as one of the guests. Uh-huh. And the magician didn't see who who his two subjects were going to be, so he came out through the back curtain. And then he was so flustered by seeing Karen Gillan because he was a big Doctor Who fan that it fucked up his act. <laughs> like he said, "I'm sorry, I just had to stop for a second. I wasn't expected to see Amy Pond here when I opened the curtain." Oh, uh, that's amazing. <laughs> 
Um, I took my mom when she was in town once and I didn't know, like I've known my mom as long as I've been alive. She volunteered at every opportunity. She ser- stuck a paw right up in the <laughs> air. And, and she was never that person before. I mean, she's so shy, but she loves being part of magic tricks. <laughs> Who the so hell great. knew? Um, and then, okay. Final thing about the magic castle. When I brought my aunt and uncle there and Quentin Tarantino was there, mm-hmm. uh, the magician kept, he did a trick where he, put on like a cape and a mask and did all this stuff. And then the reveal was it was his assistant slash wife. They had switched at some point and he was at the back of the room and his wife like pointed and everybody looked over and he was like waving. (laughs) So then the rest of the show and then for his big finale trick, he repeated, I don't know like why, but he did a trick where that was the same climax at the end of it. And I was like, he switched places and then reappeared at the back of the theater and I was sitting close enough to him and he was waving to the crowd and looking around and smiling. It was the end. And so if you weren't sitting close to him, you would not have heard him say, we did it again. Kind of under his <laughs> breath. <laughs> and I don't know if he was apologizing or, or, or like self aggrandizing or whatever, but, um, <laughs> Hey, uh, just while we're on the subject, although we did get away a bit from the subject of mummies, of no Andy's no. new uh, genital cleanliness. Mm. Are, is your butt a genital? <laughs> what is the definition of genital? I guess. Okay. Reproductive so- organ. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> also, going to have to uh, take issue with that definition. But okay, well, move, productive move on. organ. Yes, very productive. Uh-huh. A, a story sent in by Jake Young. Friend of the show, Jake Young, sent in a story about silver underwear. Um, that even after a week of wear, silver threaded underwear fights junk funk. It says Ooh. this quite editorialized headline from Ars Technica. Um, I am not going to read out this first paragraph though, because fuck oh, you, editor. Oh, yeah. It's, it's too much, too much with the editorializing. We can just I jump it's straight a new thing into just in science journalism that they have to come up with a, like the intro to the human interest story in the news. Well, if cats got you, <laughs> yeah, and uh, we should get to the story. But then after that, we should talk about um, uh, John Oliver's brilliant video this week. Have you seen it? It, yet? it was very good. Yeah. And about five or six of our listeners emailed or tweeted at us saying, "Watch it." If you haven't watched it, we can talk about it for a sec. He did a in the middle his long story this week. And if you don't watch John Oliver's show, at the very least, go on YouTube and they put all of the big segments online, and they're fantastic. And each week, there's one long story where they take down. Uh, aspect of society yeah. and this week it was studies say or studies show and he really took through mm. uh, he really took down f- various elements of it firstly the way often studies don't say that at all it's gone through th- almost three levels of changing and then suddenly someone who's got to make it a snappy headline yeah. grabs which the we've thing talked about on the show a bit before how chemical in a test tube slightly inhibits the production of this kind of cell and this chemical is also found in uh raspberry jam suddenly becomes like eating jam kills cancer right, and right, it just right. like it Smelling just does farts, uh, cures cancer that uh. was one of the specific examples from the yep. show uh and then things like p hacking he gets onto which is the is it p hacking yeah well you you take the data and then just look for any two things that that correlate in that data set, even if it wasn't what you intended to study at first. And you can, you can find yeah. like uh 538.com did a funny thing where they showed like there are studies with which you can prove that not pr- prove a correlation between, you know, like uh, eating almonds and voting for Trump. So it's just, yeah. It's been oh, compared yeah. to 
the difference between shooting at a target and shooting blindly at a wall and dra- drawing a target around the closest grouping. Like what you do for p hacking is you you test with the type of data you test twenty different types of correlation, and just because of the random variance of data within that, there'll be there'll be varieties uh, there'll be variances in the individual correlations. So you just go like oh that you just pick the one that looks the most like they're connected. Hmm. Uh, and he wasn't saying that happens a ton, but that, that can be done. Um... It can be done unintentionally as well, because if you're doing a big study, you look for different things, and it's the difference between trying to draw a conclusion after you have the data rather than looking for the... Right, right. And, and also he called out the fact that uh, it's it's less glamorous to, like in the scientific community, you're less encouraged to try to replicate studies, which is very important. Like it's much more glamorous to have a new, a new finding mm. than to be a fact checker, which is really what... Yeah. studies need is to have other scientists then replicate those findings with their own testing. Specifically university researchers uh, and university professors, there's a huge amount of importance placed on publishing new results that look right. gl- glossy and glamorous for the institution. And you're like, oh, yeah, they, these published these papers in these prestigious journals, and there's no real glamour in doing a study that tests someone else's study yeah, yeah. so is, replication is tested far too rarely that sounds to me like um game theory where you have to sacrifice the glamour of working on your own new thing to play the game that's going to be good for everybody which is replicating whatever the results were of that study so you might not get the shine if you spend your time and effort replicating yeah. a study instead of doing your own new one but, but the trouble it'll is be better for the everything shiny thing for the right yeah and so you say fuck you and Go for your own. Yeah, and then, you just try to right, right, get right. the one thing that's going to get a nice press release for the with the, the university pr- written in there. The prisoner's like, dilemma is that what that thing's called that's that I'm more describing? About like, uh, well, I guess sort of yeah, cooperate the like, individual interest versus versus uh, everybody's. And and also the the theory of that one is like if everybody behaved ideally, you you things would still turn out okay. But all it takes is one person to be selfish and it fucks the whole thing. So why wouldn't everyone just be selfish? Right. It's so it's not exactly the same. Um. Quick question: Is the P in P hacking related to the P in P brain, uh, or is it a different no. variable? I think no, P it, could be any number for P brain. It's just like the number of dimensions. And P hacking, P is a is a term in statistics. Okay. Yeah, right? and I'm trying to remember. It's been a very long time. What is a P value? It's a. It's a. Keep talking while I look it sure, up. Sure, sure, okay. sure. It's the. Uh, um. Oh, it's to do with hypothesis testing. That's. Set the significance level alpha, the probability of making a type 1 error to be small. Compare the p-value. Here we go. The p-value is a function of the observed sample results uh, relative to a statistical model. So it's the... uh, It's something in statistics, it sounds like. uh, (laughs) (laughs) It sure does sound like that. While you're looking... Uh, yeah, the p-value is the probability that the observed result has nothing to do with what one is actually testing for. So it's specifically, the p-value is defined as the probability of obtaining a result equal to or more extreme than what was actually observed, assuming the model is true. So you have a model and then you test your results against it, and the p-value is how widely it diverges from that. Okay. All I want to do is make p-value jokes about silver underwear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is what we were getting into, right? But so, I sidetracked us. Having just having just spent a while ranting about <laughs> how scientists science. don't how scientists don't do us like our entire show exists uh, because of these yeah, stupid press releases. <laughs> watching that's that, that, I don't think we've ever done. We've we've so rarely done us. Well, no, actually, we do do wait, stories there, that then. There's one coming up today. There possibly, is one coming that up we today. We might be refuting as we're telling. Uh, 
So, or we're not re- we're reading another refutation that's. Uh, but this is definitely a press release that's been put out by a clothing company. Yeah. That the company has designed silvered cotton underwear that protect the groin and bum, really, Ars Technica, yeah. from being invaded by stinky microbes. The lightweight shields have such potent, potent antimicrobial powers. They can fend off funk even after what being warm. Oh fuck off! <laughs> no, fuck you! I'm not. I'm just not reading this story anymore. It sounds like promotional copy. It totally is, but also just the the editorial. The tablet. I should have read the story more carefully. Fuck <laughs> you! <laughs> Shitty editorializing in Ars Technica. It, like, you don't even want to get to the paragraph on farts? No, okay. no, fuck you! Okay, fine, fuck enough. you! I don't care that it might filter out odors. There's a Kickstarter. F- fuck off! <laughs> <laughs> fuck off! It's totally unbiased. Done. There's a link to the Kickstarter. Done. Done with done with this shitty story. I keep getting ads Sorry, on- Jake Young. I like you. You normally oh. send me good stuff. This is this would be a good story were it not for the grammar of the article. Fuck, yeah. fuck you, writer of that article. Speaking of Kickstarter, I keep getting um, ads in my Facebook feed for uh, this company that's making just a copper ball. Have you guys seen that one? Is that- no. Really? No. Yeah, they they make a one pound copper sphere and it costs a hundred dollars. What? It's like ninety nine point cent pure copper. What is like, supposedly oh, the value of this? I think it's just an art piece, but then they also use a word. Um... But art pieces don't tend to just advertise. Wow. Well, the, the funniest thing is that they but... call it um, an olig- oligodynamic. They call it oligodynamic copper, which is just a property that copper happens to have um, that is not unique to this sphere, but just any copper, uh, which means it naturally kills germs on contact. Um, yeah, so they, they, they're just adding another word that is a characteristic of copper and acting like this is a special... Yeah, it's raised $200,000, and they're just selling you a, a 1,000 grams of 99.9% pure element. Oh, sorry, so it's a kilogram, not a pound. There's two different sizes. There's a pound and a kilogram. <laughs> um, What's the difference in price between those yeah. two important sizes of yeah. shitty balls? $79 pledge gets you the one pound copper ball, but that's all gone. And then 99 would get you the one kilo as an early bird thing. But it's so just a fucking concept. They raised $200,000 selling copper What's, balls. There must be a suggested use. No, it's just like a thing you put on just your desk. That to looks have cool. around? It's how big, is, how big is a pound I mean, of copper? Here's what uh, the one pound of copper is 1.8 inches oh. in diameter. Smaller it does than look kind of cool. The kilo one is. Um, yeah, a shiny ball of metal does look 2. like a cool 3. thing. Yep. It's but is it $100? It's pleasing cool. to have as an object. It's like this. Like a it's it's this century's. Um, pendulum things uh yeah oh yeah i love all those i still i still love executive desk games if i actually had an office job my desk would be full of that kind of thing magnets and oh love it love a newton's cradle oh yeah is Is that what that's called the pendulum thing uh newton's cradle is the one that has the five balls yeah yeah yeah. you lift up one and it mocks the other is oligodynamic is that the word? That's what it says. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Is that like nature's Purell? It kills germs on contact, so I, you can yeah, just kind of rub get, your hands on of, your copper ball? Well, have you ever, have you ever heard of st- steel soap as well? No. It's just a piece, piece of stainless steel that is in the shape of a bar of soap, and it's meant to help neutralize odor. So if you've been, like, say, chopping oh, yeah, garlic or garlic. onions in the Yes, kitchen. I have seen those. Right. According to Wikipedia, the oligodynamic effect from the Greek oligos, few, and dynamis, force. Like oligarchs. Few oh, and few power. and control. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Never knew that's what that meant. Uh, it's a biocidal effect of metals, especially heavy metals. It was discovered in 1893. Uh, brass doorknobs and silverware both exhibit this effect. The metals react with thiol or amine, amine groups of enzymes or proteins, a mode of action... To which, microorgan- to which microorganisms may develop resistance. Such resistance may be transmitted by plasmids. Interesting. And I think those are also the um, chemical groups that cause odor in garlic and onions. 
which is why it helps neutralize those smells. And is that oh. why silver underwear is it oligodynamic? No, that's uh, a vampire thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, that's Wait, exactly. it's, the same, it's the same effect as this copper ball. I believe so. So if you got this underwear, then had two one-pound copper balls yeah, right up front, you could achieve sure. exactly the same thing by <laughs> get a nice little bonus. A kilogram of yeah, metal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, someone has filled their <laughs> their tiny whiteies with a, a couple of copper oh, yeah. balls. You know, sure. somebody. That's why that. um also knights uh were more frequent than you might think. Mm. Oh, it kept it in. Well, this guy's got brass balls to be selling copper balls for a hundred bucks. Hey. So we had a few stories being sent in, a few people sending in the stories about this Mayan village that had been discovered. It's, if it's true, it's the best story ever. The best it is science the best story. story. Well, let's read the version of the story or a version of the story initially. But I, w- I was debating initially whether we should just set it up straight like a real story. And then like, we've, I think we've already buried the lead on this one. There is a potential debunking. Yeah, yeah. There was a potential debunking in this one at the beginning. Or we did the opposite of bearing the lead. We um, put the lead even before the... Right? You unearthed the lead. We, we uh, telegraphed the lead. Yeah. We pre-led with the lead. A Canadian teenager may have outshone the experts after discovering a lost Mayan city. William Guttery from Jean, St. Jean de Martha in Quebec made the discovery by comparing star charts with satellite images. The new city discovered in a Mexican jungle is thought to be the fourth biggest Mayan city and has been named Mouth of Fire by the teenager. Because he's 15. Mm-hmm. William has been fascinated by the Mayans for much of his childhood ever since a Mayan calendar predicting the 2012 apocalypse sparked his interest. His hobby eventually turned into serious research. The imaginative youngster theorized that the locations of Mayan cities might correspond to stars in their constellations. He analyzed 22 of their star maps from ancient books, known as the Madrid Codex, and overlaid the star positions onto Google Earth images of the Yucatan Peninsula, was able to show that 117 of the cities did indeed match the star positions, with the brightest stars representing more major cities. He then overlaid a 23rd constellation, finding a discrepancy. Three stars, but only two known cities. The location corresponding to the third star was on the Mexico-Belize border, but the as-yet undiscovered city was covered in thick vegetation, making his findings inconclusive. Thankfully, the teenager had a close relationship with the Canadian Space Agency. He won a science competition a year earlier for his theory, and they had already been providing him with images from their RadarSat-2 satellite, which has cutting-edge terrain mapping abilities. They gave him images of the new location. He also scoured the internet for other satellite images from 2005 when a fire had engulfed the area, leaving it more exposed and any remains more visible. Armed with his images, he then collaborated with a remote sensing expert, Dr. Armand Larocque from the University of New Brunswick. By studying the satellite images and applying digital image processing a fascinating discovery was made. LaRocque concluded that 15, the 15 year old had found a major city with 30 buildings and an 86 meter pyramid. His findings had been met with widespread praise, with scientists from the Canadian Space Agency describing his work as exceptional. They also presented him with a Medal of Merit, and he named the city Mouth of Chi. This is all in capital letters for some reason. K apostrophe. A with an accent, another A, and then K, and then another apostrophe, C-H-I, 
pretty sure and that's a third apostrophe. That's uh, the native language of, of Wookiees. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what Chewie speaks. Which he claim- means mouth of fire. It does not say in which language it means mouth of fire. Okay. So what next for William? He plans to go to the International Science Fair in Brazil in 2017 to present his findings. He also hopes that archaeologists will visit the site very soon. On the possibility of an archaeological dig, Rock is realistic, telling the Montreal Journal it's always about money and expositions cost are horribly expensive. Uh, so you sent this to me and a bunch of other listeners posted it places and it, yeah, on it, first glance it's really exciting and you're glad that someone went to these lengths to, yeah, to try to find patterns. Article, but it's also maybe an example of p-hacking, sort of. Yeah, uh, it kind of is. Um, this story ends with a rather hubristic paragraph. Regardless, William's legacy will almost certainly be etched into history. <laughs> According to reports, the findings are soon to be published in a scientific journal and his thoughts methods similar to this could lead to the discovery of more lost Mayan cities. Uh, and it, but it does say afterwards underneath, update, since publication of this article, some experts had expressed skepticism at Williams' findings. Dr. Davis Stewart, an anthropologist from the Mesoamerica Center, University of Texas, posted a Facebook response claiming ancient Maya did not plot their ancient cities according to constellations. Uh, he described the square feature as an old fallow cornfield. And there that is, square feature that they, they thought was an 86 The pyramid? Tall. Yeah. That was my and, question. And there is another, there is an article in Wired that also, um, uh, let me find the actual story. Uh, They said that long lost city a teen found isn't lost or a city. Um, So yeah, they they start off by saying that a bunch of things are true. He won a contest to present his theory that Mayan cities were correlated with constellations at a conference a few years ago. Um, And satellite imagery can be a powerful tool for studying the ancient world. Um, but that square in the CSA's satellite images is probably an abandoned field, and another spot may be a small dry lake or clearing in the jungle, says archaeologist Ivan Sprock. Gizmodo in its updated story has noted the same about the square structure. Um, moreover, experts are skeptical of the claim that Maya built their cities according to constellations. They did indeed have constellations, but there's no canonical list of them, so the theory is hard to test. Uh, Mayan constellations that we know of, with the exception of Scorpio, bear no relation to those we find on modern star maps. They also got Scorpio? They got Scorpio. Nice. Uh, What seem like bizarre locations for cities can be explained by other factors, like access to swamp mud for their terraces. And also, this is maybe the biggest thing, no matter where your star map tells you to look, chances are good you'll hit upon a settlement in that area. The Maya area was so densely occupied in classic Maya times that many years ago, a well-known archaeologist, Eric Kurjak, told uh, someone that the, the area looked much like the Ohio Valley, denuded of trees and full of towns that were fairly close to one another. So at any given point, you'd be likely to find an archaeological site. Yeah, so there are a lot of a lot of these settlements, and there's a good chance if you superimpose a map on it, you can kind of twist it to look like it's like... Yeah. You can p-hack it. You can sort of p-hack it. But also, if it's just a field anyway, and it's not even a pyramid, because I don't get that. Still, no one's been out to this location yet. It's in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I don't get how that other person that paired with the teen said that that there was an 86 meter pyramid. You know, if it was just like altitude measurements of that or something. Or just, well, maybe if you look at the the size of the base of it. Mm. You can extrapolate. Yeah, work out. If you knew uh, the angle. Uh, but again, there's no picture. Our pyramids always roughly pyramid. the same it's angle. Just a I square see. in trees, kind of. But again, why are we tearing down this kid? It's great. Uh, it, it's it's more legit than Ahmed's clock, um, even if it's not legit. <laughs> so yeah, good work. We're glad that uh, that youngsters are inquisitive and stuff. But um, <laughs> good job, youngster. Youngsters. That's what we call them. You know what I just learned 
apparently, um, crowds always say airball at the same musical pitches. No, really? Yeah, it's like a D to an F or something. Airball. What is airball? That, that's something that people shout at, uh, is that baseball? Yeah, if you shoot a basket in a oh, basketball, basketball game okay. and it doesn't hit the rim or the backboard... People go. Oh, so like one of the. So when it just. I mean, I don't know if that was it. it. Like scoring a basket, but really cleanly, so it just doesn't. No, if you miss, it's like a taunting. Do you want to keep humming that for a second while I grab a guitar and see if if uh, yeah, let's do. We'll do like a side by side. Do what you think it is, and just keep doing it for a second. Oh, really? Keep doing it. I'll wait for you to get the guitar. We'll talk about it a little bit more with Matt. So this is so an air ball is where someone just you blew it. it. Just yeah, right. The opposing like the opposing team's fans would like jeer at you by going air ball, and so apparently it's really hard to get crowds to, um. Like, you know, to get, like, a vocal group to be singing in unison. But crowds are really good at doing that. Well, interestingly, uh, we were one of the pitches that you were doing is one of the pitches this article mentioned. Because the LA Times says scholars show that it begins on an F and ends on a D. You Do yours again? Okay, but I'm not in a crowd at a basketball game, so I'm going to be imperfect. Oh, okay. do, you think, do you think this is partly crowdsourcing? Like, it... it Average the crowd averages of those two yeah. pitches. But I mean, I guess I can go for it. The interval was the same though. It was it was a it was a um, a minor third difference between the two. Can notes. you hear that? You can no, just, just played it just now oh. in my room before I came out. Air bomb. So that was D to B. Oh, okay. But they're saying it's F to D. <laughs> <laughs> Even more air ball. infuriating. Air ball. That's a little high for my range. I'd have to go down the octave. <laughs> air ball. But now I want to hear what it looks like. What's like. What have you do Beautiful. Like, of those two? I think I sense a new song coming yeah. on. That's interesting. F to D is the air ball. But it's always that minor third, at least. Anyway, okay. Sorry, it was an excuse to get my guitar. Yes, it was. <laughs> I think you should just accompany the rest of the podcast with just gentle <laughs> Spanish tones. <laughs> You've even gone back to, to put the guitar back. And it's just, a nice guitar, and I didn't want to just put it on the ground. It's uh, yeah, it's it's the most expensive thing I own. Things could it's get worth, crazy as the podcast. It's worth more than my car, which isn't saying much because my car is worth less than a thousand dollars. But um, is the, your car green? It's the green Saturn with two hundred thousand miles on it. Yeah, Saturn out there. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, do you want to do a space story or a or an underwater story? I quite like I quite like these robots. I do like the Are they robots. underwater robots? Yeah. yeah. Kristen, listener Kristen Lewis sent in this story about humanoid diving robots looking for treasure. Amazing. Um, which sounds pretty cool. The Robo Mermaid, able to reach depths too dangerous for human divers, uh, retrieves a vase from the wreck of Louis Fourteenth, uh, his flagship. <laughs> Robotic scientist. Wait a minute. Hold the phone. Flagship. I just put it together. <laughs> but, like, you know, to say, like, uh, okay, I just got it. Right, that that's actually oh, like a where thing like the that, flagship where it comes yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. Okay, go on. I don't think I ever thought about it either. Actually, yeah. Um, so, robotic scientists at the U.S.'s Stanford University, not scientists who have kind of flat affects, but people who study <laughs> yeah, robots. robots. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's a robotic biologist <laughs> and a robotic. <laughs> okay. Carry uh, on. They've achieved a remarkable first. They've successfully sent an automated avatar, which they described as a robo-mermaid, down to an ancient shipwreck to retrieve a vase from the sunken vessel. La Lune, which is the flagship of Louis XIV of France, sank 20 miles off the south coast city of Toulon in 1664. 
Only a few dozen of the hundreds of men on board survived. The wreck, which lies at a depth of 100 meters, had never been disturbed until the Ocean One robot craft reached it two weeks ago and recovered the grapefruit-sized vase. So grapefruit-sized? It's a curious measurement for a... Yes, it is. I would almost say vase size because like that's, right? that's about, yeah. the same about what size. you picture every, uh, one of those being yeah l- every crowd around the world pictures a vase that's the same size uh basically it's the, it's the f to d of, yeah. of vase <laughs> envisioning okay maybe on, it's Matt. maybe it's rounder than the average one but so still, that- like like a grapefruit shaped like the the container part of the vessel is the size of a grapefruit it doesn't and then there's actually a little say nor is there a picture of i said- picture them as longer and skinnier that's what I would have thought. Do you yeah, say so vase or vase? I say, I say vase. I wasn't saying it because I didn't want to sound like I was correcting you right after No, you no. Said well, it. you wouldn't be correct. It's just me offering yeah. a different pronunciation right. yeah, yeah, yeah. because of our respective countries of origin. Yeah. And our lack of pretense on this side. Of <laughs> <laughs> who am I to say? That's, uh... <laughs> who, who, look at Mr. Ladi Dai uses the word pretense. <laughs> Ooh, ambassador. Okay, how much do these robots actually resemble mermaids? They're, they they resemble people did, a lot. But and how quickly did the scientists start making sex jokes about yeah. their mermaid robots? They more resemble... Did you ever watch Buck Rogers? No. Okay. There's a robot named Tweaky from Buck Rogers. Really? Uh, this robot similar. is orange. It does look a bit like a sort of orange crash test dummy of a scuba diver. Um, the... The humanoid diving robot was piloted using virtual reality techniques by Osama Khatib, professor of computer science at Stanford. Sitting on the boat on the surface, he used joysticks to control the little underwater craft. He said that combining human skills with the robot mermaid's robust structure will transform underwater exploration. The human can provide the robot with intuition, expertise, and cognitive abilities. The robots can do things in areas too dangerous for a human while the human is still there. Difficulties with the air supply and the danger of decompression sickness, otherwise known as the bends, limit divers' abilities to probe ancient wrecks and other deep-sea features. However, Ocean 1's success suggests that it may be possible to extend underwater explorations for longer and at greater depth. The spur that led to the design of Ocean 1 was the desire to study coral reefs deep beneath the Red Sea. These can be reached only by robot submersibles, and the Stanford Project aims to combine human skills with the robustness of an automated submarine. Uh, the craft, which looks surprisingly like a person, it does, it's very humanoid, has human-like vision from two forward-facing cameras, while its hands, uh, in, in quotes, have fully articulated wrists with four sensors Whoa. that d- relay a sense of touch to Khatib's hands using a process known as haptic feedback. So I, I guess you can actually... Haptic feedback's the thing... I th- qu- Computer games have started to do this as well. This, I'm sure this is technology from the, computer our, games. Our MacBooks have it. Have you ever tried to like drag something beyond a boundary and something where it isn't supposed to go? And it sort of buzzes a bit? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, the operator can feel whether an object in his robot hands is light and fragile or heavy and solid. Uh, and in the future, the sensitivity will be enhanced with tactile sensors. During Ocean One's dive, Khatib was able to reach out to the vase on the deck of La Lune as the craft hovered. He could feel its contours and assess its weight before he shut it in a special basket and had it carried to the surface. And assess what fruit it was approximately the size of. Now, the danger, of course, is that the robot will get struck by lightning during an ocean storm and acquire the ability to love. Then it it complicates the task immensely. Um, According to Stanford News, 
The vase, which had not been touched for centuries, is in remarkably good condition, although it was covered in ocean detritus and smelled like raw oysters. It's very <laughs> visceral description. Yeah. Uh, was that because raw oysters smell like the sea? Right, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. I think you can forgive this thing for not remembering to wear its silver underwear. <laughs> yeah, 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 there we go. The intent is to have a human dry- diving virtually, to put a human out of harm's way. Having a machine with human characteristics that, that can project the human diver... At depth is going to be amazing. Ocean One will be your avatar. Um, how long before this is used for war? Like, oh, how long before we say start... for sex? But okay, for, those are the uh, first two things: this is underwater yeah. sex so, and uh, sex first. I think war and sex have driven. Like, how much of modern technology has been driven entirely by either war or sex? Oh, more huge more than sex, I think. There hasn't been that much technology that's come from... Like, Has there been... But, well, a lot of communication technology has been. Oh, okay. That, For example, that's that, the reason why VHS beat out a Betamax and... Right, but then I've heard uh, recently that all that stuff is less true now. Like That was that was for like a, a couple of decades ago technology, but that, that porn hasn't been the thing that dictates formats that win things recently or things... or technological standards like uh, the blu-ray hd dvd thing like that wasn't decided by porn okay. where everyone wants to believe that's always what dictates these things and i don't know anyway yes war and sex sure war and sex i mean really war is just the you know the sublimated sexual urge fucking with swords finding a different expression yeah i have a buddy who's an engineer and his company was working on like a version of I, I guess I got to be careful again not to put anyone on blast that shouldn't be, but it was a product that uh, interacted with someone who was like using a dildo on themselves, and then oh, okay. you would put a contraption on your dick, and it would translate sensation in the same rhythm and intensity and grippiness. I think there's a few companies that have tried to, so you Good. sort of do long distance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You pay a cam girl to use a toy that's like connected oh, yeah. okay. through Bluetooth or something. Or to your a, partner. Or your long distance girlfriend. Oh, right, girlfriend. right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Your, your beloved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, my friend said he tried it and it was uh, like a thousand times better than masturbating. Really? Yeah, with just your hand. He said it was incredible. I wonder if it could. Uh, I mean, okay. I know this is this is like juvenile to like be try it with me, this. just to be clear. No. Yeah, uh, but I mean, like, I'm not just trying to be whatever. I'm genuinely curious how if if it if all it does is like the equivalent of um, squeezing at different points, or if it can actually do an up down motion. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, if I, I can get if there were like things that could push in and out at, at different places along it, but I can't figure out how it could do that and also be able to move lateral well, that's why you are now a comedian rather than the engineer you, <laughs> right, right, right. your original path because you don't you you don't dare to dream andy i don't dare to dream how would you make that he described it as a sort of two tank treads both rolling towards the center at the same time oh okay see i can also see how this might work because when i was working on oh by the way um the show that we were working on that will now be called How to Build Everything that's coming out in the Science Channel in about two months' time. Can we officially say that Yeah, people? I think we can say okay. that. Whoa. It's coming out. I don't, know, I don't know the exact date, but it's coming out towards the end of the summer. Congrats, guys. Uh, thank Wait, you. I didn't know that. But uh, one of my topics, one of my episodes, was the automatic cow milking machine. And I became very aware of the milking mechanism of... Mm. Is it like that uh, tank tread thing? I was like, yeah, it, it's sort of... There's a, a sort of an inner membrane, mm-hmm. almost like a sort of bladder type thing, around that's surrounded by a larger cylinder and through 
they have different mechanisms that through either rollers or air pressure or some kind of fluid pressure, it kind of creates a rolling, both a suction but also a rolling motion that massages at the right. same time. Like, like one of those um, blood pumps that doesn't have to have any moving parts inside the actual tube that just roll rolls against uh, yeah. rubber. Mm. And that you can't... you. It's very hard as a pepinist individual as to a, look at as a pepinist as a pepinist individual to look at that diagram, an animation of how it works without instantly thinking. Oh, I bet you could see your dick in it. Yeah, I'm sure. Like it looks like, looks like something you can eminently put your dick in. But like, I'm not advocating that. If you live near a farm, we've do all, not we've don't put heard, your dick in the milking machine. Heard, exactly. We've all heard the story about the farmer with the three holes <laughs> yep, in the bar, the traveling right. salesman. Lesson learned, guys. Uh, that sounds like an extra for the eventual DVD release of your television show. Matt, is, uh, <laughs> Matt does some at-home experiments. How to build everything this is, off the duck. Yeah, right, right, right. This is so bizarre because I literally was working on... I was rewriting a joke today, and I thought of the word be penis I've never encountered no. it before today, and it's been twice. Once from your brain, once from mine. And it's not a word, right? I don't think so. But, but everybody understands be. what it means. So yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe in some senses that is a word. I think be penis is a word. Look it up. Let's see. Um, yeah, that's pretty exciting about the show, too. Um, we'll tell you guys more about it as it approaches. I think June 22nd was what we heard for the premiere. Uh, I think so, yeah. Um, Wiktionary, the, the Wikipedia <laughs> uh, version of the dictionary, yeah. has has bepenist in there. Okay, I'll take it. As uh, So, our, yeah. And it has a, listed as synonyms. Bedict. Uh, <sighs> Penist and phallist. It is definitely the best of that group. <laughs> it is. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say be penist in that joke. I'm committing to it now that I know it's a word. I think you should. Well, great. Well, Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, also, it it avoids complications of of gender. Yes. Where it, it narrows it down to pure anatomy. Right. A be penist person. A be penist person. A person in possession of a penis. Um, <laughs> where to go from there? <laughs> I was trying to think of how to transition into a story about batteries, but uh, <laughs> Dan. Well, said- I mean, like all of these. Oh, I don't know how to get from an automatic fucking machine to batteries. Oh, how do you? How do you doing? Why are you even hosting a Jesus, that's an excellent point. <laughs> how do I get from sex toys to batteries? How? Oh, and penises. Um, Dan Savage, the sex and relationship advice columnist, talks a lot about how not a lot, but sometimes about how there are people who have sexual fantasies of things like fucking a centaur which you can't do right. but when they invent sex robots those kinds of fantasies will you'll be able to custom build whatever your unrealizable fantasy is yeah. and uh i have to say thinking about a sex mermaid i definitely noticed the story we were talking about it seems like it might be kind of a fun thing except you know the, the bottom half of their body is a fish right yes i'm yeah. not exactly sure how that works yeah i also it's... there's a bit of me that's like i don't need another thing to be into? What do you mean? Yeah, like it's just like, oh, there, there's more things to potentially I mean, find out that you like. I guess. I Have like, you had a lot of things that you've I don't know, but like I don't want to like. suddenly discover that like centaurs is also like, oh, now I've got to devote a bit of my brain space. Mm. I feel like you've Like moved- now I can't get off without thinking of centaurs <laughs> now. Like, I'm I just- mean, I think you've moved through the world for, you know, at least close to three decades. I probably avoided the point that that would get, because I think a lot yeah. of those things get imprinted earlier in life. Yeah, I think so you're I think- past it. I think if I manage to watch the animated adaptation of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and not get any ideas, then I'm probably safe from centaurs. Yeah. Or you'll start dating someone who's really into centaurs, and then centaurs, I never know how to pronounce it. Either. And, and then, uh, 
it's probably different. And I mean, uh, I play along. If I, if I, you know, if 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 suddenly my partner revealed that she had a big centaur thing, and like, hey, uh, if you'd be cool with that, I mean, I, uh, I'll indulge. Yeah, you've got a maybe you've got a latent centaur fantasy waiting to come out. Yeah, I'll. I'll Again, the centaurs. I always. Forget. I don't even know how you would portray a centaur. Like, Do they have? Uh, I know it's uh, the top half is is a human with two arms. Then the bottom half is is it four legs or yes, two legs? Good call. Four legs. Four legs. So six six appendages. Six limbs. Total. Yeah. Yeah. Who was it who posed that question recently? It's, it's of came like, up at brunch, w- where does like. where does the penis go? If you're fucking a centaur, you mean? Yeah. Well, does does is the penis is a centaur's penis? Behind oh. the rear legs in the horse position, or behind between the front legs in the in the man position. I don't know, but also, what's the thing? Great is it, question. Is it just a fawn that has the two uh, animal legs and two, two arms? Is a that a fawn? fawn? Yeah, that is okay. a fawn. Oh, the yeah. minotaur is the t- bull, bull torso and bull head. top. Um, yeah, yeah, and then bull, bull top, man bottom. What yeah. was going that's on? That's right. Yeah, because that's almost that's the opposite body part sort to, of center. Opposite to center. Yeah, this yeah. is the difference between like griffins and hippogriffs or something. It's like lion and horse, but in different configurations, which is the front half, yeah. which is the back half. And by the way, when, we've, we've had this exact conversation on this podcast. The more I think about it, we've had I a think, version of this conversation. I'm sorry, listeners, sure. we definitely went down this road before. But. When you order your customized centaur sex robot, you can decide where the penis goes, well, why not, front half yeah, or why back not half. Too? Yeah, or the deluxe version. Why can't every Andy wouldn't get the deluxe like, version, yeah. we know. <laughs> just the, <laughs> the easiest one to hook <laughs> up. And you would get Amazon's $40 <laughs> I just want to try it. I want, the, I want the discount. I want the entry level, and then decide if we go prosumer, maybe a professional eventually. Like, yeah. When you do buy your sex centaur, just click the probably science as offer code on the that, top. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna kick back a lot. I feel like whenever sex centaurs exist, they're not gonna and be Andy, cheap. And Andy's probably more able to buy it thanks to your kind donations that help keep the podcast going. That's true. A lot, of, a lot of people have also gone to probablyscience.com, which is also where we post all the story links and donated money. They clicked on the donation button. We got a lot of monthly donations that have come through. Uh, this month uh, so thank you very much Stuart Holding uh, thank you very cool name uh, Z- Zvonimir Kroons awesome name uh, then big thank you to Rosalie Simonich uh, also big thank you to Justin Broad and an even bigger thank you to Catherine Lubiak uh, so thank you very much all of you donors you really help us out uh, it's it's makes a difference and we really appreciate it and we've had to upgrade equipment recently and that was that was a big help for that. Uh, bidets don't buy themselves. Bidets, yeah. Uh-huh. Also podcasting equipment. Yeah. But um, yeah, and also the Amazon now, link helps out. And also spreading the word. I know a lot of you have been doing that recently, and we really, really appreciate it when you do that. Now that you guys have a TV show, should listeners stop donating to the it's podcast? It's not our TV show. We, we wrote for and then ended up being talking heads on it a lot. Oh. It's not oh, our I, show. Yeah, okay, yeah, and it's yeah. for the Science Channel, so we ain't rich <laughs> off the back of this one. Yeah. Because it's... In fact, all of the money from that show has already gone on rent subsequently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, okay. that, yeah. But I will say it's it's cool that this probably led to, this definitely this podcast led to that job. Yeah, so it, it, certainly. Were you guys a team, or did you each get hired separately? We got contacted at the same time because I think they just Googled comedy and science. Right. Sort yeah. of. I guess you knew some of the producers. But... I had yeah the two people who were the sort of showrunners on it had previously met me in another incarnation, so I think that might have tipped the scale to an extent like in, a in our past balance. life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just when I when I was a center, weirdly. So they uh... do you a, a showbiz question unrelated to science? I think that um, if I look at the things that I've accomplished, many, most, or maybe even all of them are not things where I thought, okay, 
I'm going to set out to do A and it's going to lead to B. A lot of things have just been being around for a long time and people have seen you do other stuff on your right. way to whatever goal you've set for yourself and then they have you they remember that you can do something I and bring you in. I think that's largely true. Although having said that, I also notice when I have been pursuing specific things, maybe that's not the thing that's paid off, but the frequency with which I've got these different things mm. has been correlated to the amount of the first thing i'm pursuing if that makes sense yes i know what like you mean you, like work begets work it, it, yeah. exactly that so even though it might not be the direct thing you're going for i kind of can tell when i've had a lazy bit of stretch of time where i'm like you know what i haven't been i haven't been generating new projects i haven't been getting out as much mm-hmm. and as a result these secondary things that come about haven't been happening with as much frequency yes and also i will amend what i said i'm thinking some more about it maybe you really notice the things that come down uh, as a result of you just, you know, generally hustling and you, you know, the projects that you set out to do and then do don't really seem that distinctive because yeah, of course you did a thing. Like I'm thinking, you know, I've made lots of music videos and that was my plan to make them. I've had other opportunities come my way that just were totally random. Somebody saw a video of mine or we did a spot together and it's, you know, years later it would pay off or something like that. So maybe there's just like perception bias to what you notice about stuff. But there's definitely a lot of things that, you know, you guys started this podcast and then when someone Googles comedy and science because they're looking for TV show writers, now you have this other job and credit. Right. Who would have thought? Yeah. Really, the only reason we kept doing this, I think, is because I hate the idea of quitting things. Like sometimes that's the only thing that like keeps a project going and then like, oh wait, now it's become a thing and then eventually we would Yeah, and then we start getting these really cool yeah and we get these really cool listener emails and then we see like you write nice things on itunes and then you're like oh this people really yeah enjoy Mm -hmm. our nonsense all you gotta do is do something every week for four years and maybe after four years you'll get a writing job for three months (laughs) uh and then yeah and weirdly and it's just the number of people who are really intelligent and have real expertise who write in yeah yeah actually on that note uh listeners of the show Anyone know uh, what you can or should do if you have a potentially broken toe? Because I've not gone to the doctor yet, and I no, really, Whoa. yeah, I kicked, I sort of tripped over and stubbed my toe on the wall in my apartment like four days ago, and I thought it was just stubbed, but it's so you're going like sub WebMD on this, sub asking podcast. I just well, like because I did the WebMD thing, and it was really inconclusive. They're like, yeah, you can't really do much, but you might want to strap it. And it didn't say when you could or when you couldn't. Yeah, and I should probably go to the doctor and get it, but it's oh, such a fucking hassle. Can you splint it at all? Is, is not it, really. It's the middle toe. I think broken toes, you just kind of like you let them... You just have to kind of wait. Even if you went to a doctor, I think... And they it's would just, what, I think it's like the bottom, the, the final joint of it as well, like the, Ooh. the, the joint nearest the toenail. Yeah, doctors listening, let us know what to do. Uh, <laughs> or, or just tell me, go to the doctor and stop being a dick about it. <laughs> uh, or just stop being a dick anyway and just wait it out. Um, I bent my thumb the wrong way one time. Like at, at this joint, it went like something fell on it and it bent like 45 degrees. And I went, oh, and I popped it back in place. And then it was like, I think it's okay. And I just taped a ballpoint pen to it for a few days. <laughs> and it's fine now. So it's one of those things because... where you realize I live in America. Like, I'm not, I'm not like in the jungles of Borneo. <laughs> just, all right. Well, there's not, we've got another four days till the supply ship comes yeah. in. So I guess I just have to tape whatever i have to whatever but you can't argue with results check out that thumb look at that that is a well good articulated thumb, thumb. it's yeah. it's bending very smoothly yes 
really is. Is that that's your hitchhiking thumb as it's, well? No, it's it's my uh, it's my backup hitchhiking thumb. Oh, if I need okay. to go uh, double. If I need to go double. You to go the other direction. Well, if I'm on a median, just trying to get yeah, <laughs> just trying to cover all the bases. I'll go, I'll go anywhere. Should we read out Simon Martindale's emailed in battery story? I like that one. Yeah, because that's everyone wants wants a good battery story, right? And it's an accidental research story as well. And it doesn't even have that much editorializing. In fact, yeah. No, pretty much not. It's sciencealert.com. So thank you, sciencealert.com, for just Dang. writing a relatively straightforward article. They started off by saying, when it comes to the lab, accidents aren't usually a good thing, but an unexpected result has led chemists to a system that could make batteries last up to 400 times longer than the best-performing batteries today. Uh, while the new battery would uh, still need to be recharged, the difference is it would keep working efficiently over 200,000 charge cycles, which is pretty much a lifetime of use when it comes to devices such as phones, computers, cars, and even spacecraft. And it's a whole lot longer than the lifespan of today's lithium batteries. And the accident part is that researchers still aren't sure exactly how this system works. They started to cycle the devices and then realized they weren't going to die. Lead researcher Reginald Penner from the University of California, Irvine, told Popular Science, we don't understand the mechanism of that yet. Instead of lithium, the new batteries store electricity in gold nanowires. The original aim of the experiment was to simply make a solid-state battery that used an electrolyte gel rather than a liquid to hold its charge. Lithium batteries contain liquid, which makes them extremely combustible and also sensitive to temperature. But when they started experimenting with gold nanowires suspended in this electrolyte gel, they found the system was incredibly resilient. In fact, it was way more resilient than any other battery system. And those gold nanowires are thousands of times thinner than a human hair, and the team isn't the first to use them to store electricity along their length, but in the past, these systems have been brittle and prone to cracking. The addition of the electrolyte gel by PhD candidate Maya Leitai seems to have made all the difference, as well as coating the nanowires in manganese oxide. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, Maya was playing around, and she coated this whole thing with a very thin gel layer and started to cycle it, said Penner. She discovered that just by using this gel, she could cycle it hundreds of thousands of times without losing any capacity. And that's crazy because typically those things die in dramatic fashion after five, six, or 7,000 cycles at most. Yeah, my phone battery, like phone and laptop batteries generally, after about two or three years of use, they, they yeah. noticeably mm. hold the charge useless. far worse. Yep. So uh, 200,000 charge cycles would be... Uh, yeah, yeah. They tested it. They got 200,000 charge cycles over three months and only lost 5% capacity. Yeah, it says with normal batteries, the more you charge and recharge them, the less efficient they become. Uh... After a few hundred charge cycles, they normally only contain a small amount of the charge. Uh, the team stresses that the system they built is not yet a battery, so to be clear, there's no guarantee this efficiency will be maintained when scaled up into a device you can use in your phones or laptops, or that it'll work at all. Uh, and the other <laughs> bad news is that any batteries using gold are going to be expensive, no matter how tiny the gold nanowires are. But like Andy, I mean, how at some point you're going to make up your investment. Right. Well, the team is also now experimenting with nickel instead to see if they can achieve similar results. Uh, and there's also the small matter of figuring out exactly why the system works so well. Once they know that, it'll help the team tweak the battery system to make it more practical and affordable for real-world applications. Silver mean? wire batteries that are in your double-duty underwear that keep it fun- your junk funk-free. There we are. Perfect. Let's combine Perfect. the technologies. But- and how expensive can the gold be if we can have liquor that has chunks of it in there? You know, I mean, like you can just do a tiny little bit. Great call. Style. Bring in your own bottle of Goldschlager, and yeah. we'll give you back a lifetime battery. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hmm. This is pretty cool. Do you guys like in the wall when they're like, "Yeah, all right, no more iron railings for you because we need to make planes." Right, Mm -hmm. right. Do you guys use uh, any non-rechargeable batteries in your lives anymore? Any just like double A's or anything? Yeah, I think I do. You don't, and you don't have rechargeable versions of those. I think there's been there's been times I 
I, don't, I have very few things in my life that are battery powered, but I think yeah. there have been times my um my bicycle headlights, I think, are mm. uh, yeah. good. Uh, that they're battery powered, and I believe I don't have rechargeable batteries for that. I recommend going to Amazon and picking yourself up some. I got a pack a couple years ago, and I was like, oh, why? Since these have existed, why have I ever. That's what, because the new rechargeable batteries, ones. you don't need to actually have the recharger, right? They. I've no, you do. I mean, I, at least well, I saw I there's the at least one type mine. of rechargeable battery that just flips open and there's a USB thing inside it. Oh, that's awesome. In the no shit. Yeah. Oh, damn. No, I haven't seen those. Time yet. to throw out your old rechargeable batteries and get new rechargeable yep. batteries. Yeah. I, when I first started rapping, uh, like in comedy venues, I didn't trust anyone to do my music for me, and so I carried a boombox, like an old school one. My beats right. were on CD. Uh, even though MP3s were like a widely used technology at the time, and it sucked up so many batteries that I bought just like double D are those D's. I, I bought D's six D's. rechargeable D's and a huge battery charger, and uh, it was a huge process. Every and you had time. to remember before every show, particularly if it's like a double show, Jesus, if you're yeah. like doing a Friday Saturday double shift, you have to like recharge it in yeah, between right, the, in the break right, in between right. the two. I maybe had to buy two because I could only charge four batteries, and my boombox took six. <laughs> so I would have three going at a time to maximize you the wouldn't charge. Even trust, you wouldn't even trust having like then control the f- of a thing that was off stage, but having the having the press play on stage on their iPod or or Discman or something. You didn't trust that. Nope. Then there was a phase where someone said, "Let me just try it." And I did, and it was totally fine, and I thought, okay, great, now I'm never carrying a boombox again. And then there was a long phase where people would mess it up, and I had no coping strategies for dealing with that when it happened. And now I'm at my current stage where I don't care if something goes wrong with the sound. Because you're professional enough to handle it. In the yeah, moment. you can handle it, and it's funny, and it's their fault. I've seen yours. that happen before at, a gig, if I, at, at your own gig. Yeah. At, yeah. Uh, I've seen the sound go wrong. All right, we're doing this acapella now. Yeah, or something, or you do whatever the uh, situation calls I get, for. I guess the other time, I do still, and this, I, I find it easy to get the cheap batteries rather than rechargeables. I still have some batteries that I use for throwing at the police when I'm writing. Oh right, yeah. If you're at a Philadelphia sporting event and you want to let the uh, team, either the teams know they're not, it doing just a good gets job. expensive to use rechargeable ones, even though I know it's environmentally uh, uncool to be throwing disposable one-use batteries at it, a police officer's head. I still feel I just, I just it's an expense the the amount I get through in an average right, right, week. Right. It's it's extra contempt to throw such an environmentally toxic product. Like, but I, also it shows because they they I think the police officer can look at me and tell that I am someone who generally comp- cares about right. his carbon footprint and his impact on the earth. Who are like he's clearly showing such disdain for me and the yes. uniform to throw such an environmentally catastrophic right, right. piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. At my face. Yep. I love the idea of like someone outside of the whatever stadium the Philadelphia Flyers play in, like being conscientious, like collecting people's recycled yeah. batteries for the recycling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are, don't you have to? Um, where do you take batteries to get disposed of properly? I think quite Best a lot buy? of businesses have. Quite a lot of businesses and supermarkets now will have little uh, battery recycling boxes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's becoming a thing. You can often find them. Okay. I think I did that as like a project in middle school or something because that was when that was starting to become a thing for the first time that batteries could oh, be recycled. I'm not entirely sure how that. I don't even know if they really are recycled so much as just disposed oh, of yeah, safely. Yeah, put in some. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know how much of it is actually buried in the playgrounds of poorer schools. Exactly yeah. right. They just they're <laughs> still put in landfills, but just like yeah. you don't have to see them. It'll be in shittier areas. Exactly. Um, hey Zach. Yeah. Where can our listeners find out more about you and your work? Oh, 
I'm uh, at the aforementioned YouTube link, which is nice. youtube.com slash Zach Sherwin. And I tweet. All, all my social media stuff is Zach Sherwin. Z-A-C-H Sherwin. Uh, Excellent. You can find us at Probably Science and ProbablyScience.com, which yeah. is also where both our PayPal donation button and our Amazon shopping links can be found. Uh, you can tweet us at Probably Science, and we're also on Facebook slash Probably Science. Uh, you can find us individually at Andy T. Wood, at Matt Kirshen, and at Jesse Case. And please also listen to Jesse versus Cancer. Yes. Um, oh, and I should mention, I just put up a little video on our Facebook page before we shot this, because Facebook now has live video, sort of in the mode of Periscope. And uh, if you want to see what the backyard looks like, we just put that video up, and those stay up even when they're not live, so you can check that out. That's right. Jesse. We'll try to do that in the future before we record shows, too. Yeah, so. maybe we'll do a little post, a little debrief as well. Sure. Fun. Little. I'll talk about all the secrets that I wouldn't reveal during the episode. <laughs> it still stays up on the... the There's something weird that's happened with yeah, our Facebook weird. page where I think we've got on some recommended pages list where oh. we keep adding... We've, we, in the last half a year, we've somehow gone from around 3,000 to 13,000 Facebook Whoa. likes. And That's I don't, significant. Yeah, and I, I don't know why, because it doesn't seem to correlate with any significant increase in interaction on Facebook. So I don't know who these likes are and where they're coming from. Hmm. Um, but uh, Do you guys do Probably Science Live ever? Yes, oh, ever yeah, and we're going to do that at uh, Bridgetown Comedy Festival. I was going to ask if that was where. short weeks. Great. Um, yeah. We still don't have the exact uh, time and date, but it's, pro- it's either June 4th or June 5th, and we'll announce that. At uh, probablyscience.com and um, on bridgetowncomedy.com where you and, can buy tickets. And also, I'm going to be in Greece. I've mentioned this previously. Ooh. I'm going to be at... Like a Broadway uh, production? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh. And also, weirdly, I'm going to be performing in the country of Greece. Oh, wow. That's perfect. In Athens and Thessaloniki, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Oh, um, That's super cool. And also, I'm going to be uh, doing some shows around the UK, including Glastonbury. So if you're at Glastonbury, come and check me out. Um, and, uh, yeah, have you got any show? Are you, do you go on the road at all, Zach, or are you mostly around LA? Sometimes. These days I'm more around LA. Sometimes I'm traveling around. Um, but I'm going to be, people should get on board now because I'm going to be releasing a million videos, uh, in 2016, like more than I ever have at a pace greater than I've ever released them. Nice. So, um, you know, just might as well get it out of the way now. Just do it. Get it taken care of. Ohio, only handle it once, you know, and then you can forget <laughs> about it and the updates will just keep flooding your inbox. Do it. Excellent, excellent. Check out Zach. Uh, check out our stories. Write nice things about us on the internet. Spread the word. Donate if you're able to donate. Uh, shop on Amazon through our link if you were previously shopping on Amazon anyway. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining us, Zach. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks really fun. An so, idyllic recording environment. So beautiful. The listeners are already responding well to the video we posted. People are like, they do love the backyard. They're saying, even with the rats and naked soap stars roaming around, that's still a pretty incredible place. <laughs> Although, just to be clear, they have conflated two of the... Individuals yeah, in the house. Yeah, the soap star doesn't get naked. It doesn't matter. Yeah, even with the weird roommates. Um, so are there yeah, rats we'll do, in the house? We've had rats and bed yeah. bugs. No, uh, fleas in the past. Oh, and, uh, fleas are bad. Fleas are yeah. bad. I mean, this, 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 this is a Faustian bargain you strike when you move into this place. You know? Yeah, that's it's, right. It, there's it there's a lot of wilderness, yeah. which has its pros and cons. And, and just the general decrepitness. You haven't seen the worst of the inside of the house, but whatever. Okay, uh, we'll post more videos soon over on our Facebook page. But thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.